Hi, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi. Welcome to episode 81 of the Deep South Dharma podcast, being released Sunday, September 20th, 2020. I'm calling it the Wisdom Factor in Heartfulness. It is an exploration of equanimity or um, maybe a more common word in some circles might be serenity. Um, This podcast is being released two days after the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and one day after the official announcement of the U.S. having passed the death toll of 200,000 people from COVID-19. So given that so many people are dealing with so many losses right now, um, I thought that equanimity would be a good topic to share. And I have a talk actually that um, I gave in June of 2018 that I wanted to share with you that explored equanimity from a few different angles. Please let me know if you have questions, other topics you'd like for me to explore, feedback, that kind of thing. Happy to hear from you. And hope this topic helps you find some equanimity in your life today. So um, by way of sort of topic, um, I entitled this for myself, uh, The Heartfulness Wisdom Factor. Okay, so by heartfulness, I'm referring to the Brahma Vihara practices when we talk about the heart, uh, loving kindness, compassion, uh, altruistic joy, and equanimity. And um, something that I think I've mentioned here before that uh, I've learned in more than one place is that in all these various dharma lists of factors there's almost always in every list at least one factor that that is sort of the wisdom factor of that list that every um that all the different you know the buddha depending on the audience he was talking to would speak in terms of you know four things or seven things and and or 12 or six, you know, and, and some of that, it wasn't, you know, we might think counterintuitively that, oh, the, the people that were further along got the longer list, but that's not accurate. <laughs> um, because the people that, that had been practicing with him for longest, for instance, got the Four Noble Truths, right? Other, that, because there, there, was some, there were some things that he could presume they knew from observing their own minds, you know, to some degree. And also because he could could lump in, you know, more things together, right? Um, so, so that's just, that's really just kind of an aside, is that we can have a tendency to, um, different schools 
of uh, practice can sometimes have different uh, kind of different attitudes toward the Four Noble Truths like uh, like oh that's sort of like beginner's Buddhism or something it's like no that's what the Buddha taught to the five guys that had been practicing with him the most that he thought might have a chance of getting it of, of being able to resonate with it you know so um, <clears throat> so be that as it may the um, in these various lists, there's there's almost always a, a wisdom factor, and um, for the heart practices, equanimity is the wisdom factor. Equanimity being a a heart quality um, that is available to us, um, that is uh, like all other heart qualities available to us and sort of quote unquote natural to us, and yet needing to be cultivated. Um, needing to be sort of uncovered or excavated might even be a better word. A lot of times when we talk about heart practice, we talk about sort of excavating these heart qualities out from under layers of wounding or fear or, you know, avert, you know, just shutting down. So my personal experience with remembering to utilize that heart quality came this week, uh, my daughter Erin had, my, my birthday was last month, and my daughter Erin had gotten me tickets to see Paul Simon for my birthday, um, which I 1,000%, you know, had looked forward to. I even, I mean, I just felt emotional even about thinking about going because he is one of the three people that I remember listening to first, my, you know, from the earliest times. My mom listened to him, and so um, one of those people that that really feels like has been part of my life. And I woke up Wednesday morning after, as far as I knew, a normal night's sleep and enough sleep for sure. I've had seven or eight hours. And I woke up and I had, and this is not typical for me. I, some people I know deal with this kind of stuff a lot. Not typical for me. I woke up and I had like just like a gripping fear of going. Um, a fear of going, a fear that some awful mass something or other would happen. Um, and, um, and I was like, wow. I mean, almost feeling like, you know, like what? I'm going to need to tell Erin we, should, you know, we shouldn't go or I can't go. And so there was, that was a train of thought. <laughs> what, and then another part of me was going, wow, Christy, anxiety much? I mean, it was so... Uh, that's that's not my usual experience of, of anything even in times where I should be afraid that's not my that I don't experience that particular type of reactivity and so um, so I just made a point to go ahead and have my meditation in the morning like right away often I will kind of get some things done first and then practice or even sometimes I will do practice before I go to bed because it does tend to give me help me have um, better sleep, all that good stuff. And, um, but I suspected that what led to that was just really having my face in just some, the really difficult, awful things going on for people this week. And, um, and usually I do a better job of balancing that out, not that it's I mean, you know, the Buddha would talk about the 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. It's not that I think things are the good and, and the bad are equally balanced, but I usually do a better job just in what I expose my mind to. A mindfulness practice is in large measure about protecting these 
uh, minds and hearts, not protecting in the sense of um, withholding anything or being isolative, but just sort of guarding uh, how am I treating, you know, it's like, am I trying to run this engine without oil? You know, that kind of thing. And, and I just really realized that I had not, um, for several days I had been um, um, spending a lot of, of my, any time that was sort of quote unquote my own time was spent following these really difficult stories. And, um, and usually I also make a point to also be sure that I spend some time exposing myself to other things that are also true. Um, but that are also loving and hopeful and, um, and, and that is not uh, because it's not important to know about the um, difficult things, but simply because my system, this brain and uh, heart and body of mine respond better to that balance. I can respond to even to difficult things in a much more useful or effective way. Um, if I'm, you know, if I just keep my system more regulated to that, and I had just gotten pretty dysregulated with it, and so it was really fascinating how just in, um, sit. I mean, I sat for 40 minutes, and I really, I really first really focused very, very pretty strictly with breath, which I uh, sometimes do and sometimes don't. But I uh, this time I really worked very strictly with breath for almost the whole thing. 30 minutes or something, and in the last 10 minutes, um, being aware of, you know, yes, there's sorrow about that, and and what else, you know, and just sort of doing the, I guess, the Mr. Rogers thing of, you know, looking for the people who are helping, and for the people doing brave things, and, for, and all of that, and it was just amazing to me, you know, how, then I went back upstairs to get my shower, and I mean, how completely different I felt. I was sort of back on track with, you know, feeling um, excited about going and all of that. But I, um, I also in there will say, it's not that I had sat there and convinced myself it was gonna be okay. It wasn't that. It was that I had it sort of broadened my awareness a bit, but also um, that there was sort of this sense that, you know, if it was something where I truly shouldn't go, I also trusted that getting very connected in meditation would give me that um, information. I have a fairly good working intuition as a result of you know a lot of years of, of um, recovery and practice, and so um, so I had I, I had some trust in that. But even with that, the bottom line was. I am not in charge of what happens to me. <laughs> and, you know, and so given that I wasn't really given any genuine, you know, that this, the fear that I woke up with dissipated relatively easily just with a bit of practice and a bit of breathing, a bit of uh, just broadening my focus. And, um, and although that didn't guarantee me anything, what it brought me to was a place of like, well, if something happens and I die there, at least I've had a sweet ride in the car with my daughter there, appreciating that she was doing this sweet, fun thing for me for my birthday, you know? And 
Um, and, and if I go out that way, that's a lovely state of mind, you know, to go out in gratitude and feeling loved and, you know, all of that. And it, it, so it really, um, and I'm, I know my tone of voice is making light of it, but that actually, it, I was, that, was, that was what I came to that um, was really felt was useful for me. Um, so, and it was a great show, I will say. I had just a bit of playing visceral animal fear when we got way, our seats were way high up. So I just didn't look down. <laughs> but by then I wasn't, I was no longer afraid of anybody uh, hurting us deliberately. I was afraid of falling, but, <laughs> but um, so, you know, the, so this quality of, of equanimity, and you know, and there are still, you know, it's like I, um, when I would run across things that I felt might be beneficial to share where people could take appropriate action or things like that, you know, I would share those things. Um, but I really um, just have uh, tried to be sure to not have just a, a you know, I've just been sure not to just have a steady diet of just people, you know, being hateful, to be hateful or being hateful out of panic or being, you know, any of it. Um, and I think that's really, really valuable. The other piece of equanimity is a little harder to work with in these, um, around this kind of uh, uh, more recent issues where, you know, we see um, people that are innocent suffering and, and um, is the, the teaching around karma, right? And so in, in the particular um, school of practice I'm trained in, there's not this attitude, uh, as, far as, I can, as far as I can tell so far to my understanding, it, there's not an attitude that, um, that when people are being mistreated, sort of it's their own fault from a previous life. Because remember, where um, the Buddha taught um, did not teach transmigration of you know of of uh, separate individual souls, right? What he taught was this sense of self of have, of being a soul that travels on. That that is uh, that that's a Hindu idea, but that that's exactly what he was clearing up. And so, um, but we are we all all of us sort of you know inherit the inherit the conscious, you know, you know, well, my teachers uh, say that, you know, to create a human being, you, you, you have, you need an egg and a sperm and a consciousness, you know, none of which are quote unquote ours, you know, but we, and yet somehow we are created out of those, uh, out of those factors. And so the teaching on karma is not one that is beneficial to speculate on what we think people are receiving, right? It's not about that. <laughs> the teaching on karma is to recognize the seeds that we plant, the opportunity that we have to shape the consciousness that we are, the, or the, the strand of, of consciousness, the stream of consciousness that we're um, working with in this lifetime, that we have the opportunity um, to, uh, to aid in the ongoing um, being, you know, uh, healthier, more equanimous, more generous, more compassionate. And so karma is not a teaching that is about justifying 
unjust things that happen to other people so that we can be more comfortable. That's, <laughs> that's not the idea. Karma, if, you know, it, the karma is, um, is, simply means actions and their results. And so looking at, for instance, and I experienced that in very short time this week, right? The action of, of, of kind of allowing my attention to become saturated with difficult material um, without also taking in the 10,000 joys that um, are in this realm, um, I experienced the results of that in very short order, the negative results of that. Um, the, and so, um, and, and I do think that, um, that it's helpful also that even in the even in the larger sort of uh, religious sense of the teachings on karma and different realms and all of that, to recognize that the human realm as a whole, even with even though your experience in the human realm can range from the very very difficult to the very very pleasant, that the human realm in and of itself is considered a fortunate realm. Um, and so, um, sort of the idea that fortunate because there is uh, this opportunity to have enough struggle to motivate us to practice, and um, but also enough um, relief that 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 we can even we can even turn our attention to practice. And we all have had times in our lives where it's been about survival mode. And we've all had times in our lives where things were going so well that we get too comfortable and forget to practice in some way or get complacent about it. Um, and so um, the last thing I want to say actually came from a professor of mine in college that I really um, appreciated. Appreciated his uh, now his his language. Um, he was he was this philosophy pr professor, very rationalistic philosophy professor, and an Assembly of God preacher, and um, I mean just and a, and a wonderful human being. And um, I just loved his, you know, he just he really was a very studious, reasonable person. And then said, you know, and reason takes you only so far. Um, and, and it was just beautiful uh, hearing him talk and and teach, but. Um, it was interesting, he spoke one time about, um, somebody in the classroom asked a question about uh, people uh, sort of having the, the thing of, you know, well, it, of course we're talking about a, a, a group of people, most of whom had some, some type of belief in a God, in a theistic, uh, an overwhelmingly theistic population in this class, and um, but one of them said something about, um, you know, if, if God's supposed to be so loving, how come there's so much suffering and all of that sort of thing, and one of the things that this professor said that um, that actually, uh, you know, makes sense even if you're not working with a theistic mindset at all, it's really useful um, is that suffering does that that suffering doesn't occur in a mass right that in that individual people suffer and and now in from his worldview and he was the student he was responding to 
shared enough of his worldview that this was really impactful for him. He said, you know, it may be our, you know, any one person, it's sort of like there's like a max you can suffer before you just, before you just go numb or check out or whatever. Um, but for those who are theistic, it, he said it may be even art, you know, it may even be true or argued that the, that the only one that experience, experiences all the suffering collectively is God. And that was really striking. Um, that was really, you know, a, a striking. Um, it, it sort of was one of those things that, that in a really, um, I felt a really compassionate way, said something important, and also highlighted sort of a, an issue that often gets thrown out. And this is, and whether you're having this argument with yourself around theism or whether just about whether it's worth living in this world, <laughs> that sometimes we will, you know, tend to uh, do a thing of sort of, of adding up all of the bad things we know about happening to other people and ourselves, and we'll sort of like make a case against the world, you know. And, um, and that particular teaching that, you know, yes, you, you know, it, it's sort of like the numbers of people suffering make an impact. Um, and often can help uh, often can help shift people's perceptions in such a way that they become more willing to take action or become more willing to change their minds in certain ways. Um, but as far as the fact of suffering, that those individual people, while we want to stop that suffering, it's not it's it it doesn't stack in the way that sometimes we will do that to ourselves when we're thinking about it. It's like we. We tend to pile it on, and so um, and so that is sometimes I even find it useful when I am um, wanting to do some compassion practice around a particular issue, is to take a particular person or 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 even to imagine a particular person in a particular situation that I'm hearing about and work with compassion practice with that with that one, right. Um, knowing that just as there have been times in, uh, just as there have been times in my life where my my portion of suffering for that day seemed like way more than um, than um, I wanted it to be, certainly, and way more than it should have been, or all of that, that that also happens uh, happens to others in this in this world, and. Um, that there is benefit in thinking in terms of what is a compassionate response, but not to um, not to sort of add up all the evidence of the numbers of people and numbers of incidences, and you know. And by the way, also recognizing that our tendency to personalize incidences we know of, um, while sort of ignoring incidences of terrible things happening in other places in the world, and we're able to know, sort of hear about them, but somehow when we're not personalizing them, we don't suffer over them in the same way. Now, I'm not saying that's the ideal way to respond. Some of those are just sort of being ignored because they don't impact us. Um, so I'm not saying that ignoring them is, is more skillful, but just sort of highlighting that um, that just as it's valuable to remember that good things are also happening and it's also valuable to notice the bad things I know of that I don't get torn up about and to look at 
the delusions of self that are tied up, you know, in my thinking about those issues that I do get torn up about emotionally. Um, so, um, and, uh, and just as I sort of uh, got some, re you know, a great deal of relief actually in, you know, thinking about getting to go do something fun with my daughter in remembering that there's simply just limits to my power, limits to what I can know, limits to what I can plan for, um, and, and that, that yes, even very simple things like, you know, taking water to people who are thirsty, like, the, I, I truly believe that the reason those things feel so good is because we're just doing a small thing that is right in the stream of things that is like we're getting to be part of that stream of goodness that's going on. And so it's much more, um, it's much more beneficial uh, and, and contributes to the overall equanimity to be focused on how can, how can I be part of the good, you know, in this situation? How can, how can I cooperate with anything good that's trying to happen in this situation? Um, whether that's offering water or protesting or, you know, calling congressmen or whatever, whatever it may be. So, um, with um, the, the only other thing I'll say about equanimity and then close is besides the, besides the um, factor of, I mean, the, the aspect of equanimity um, where it sort of brings this wisdom to our loving kindness, this wisdom to, you know, we have this loving kind wish that beings not suffer. And equanimity says, yes, and they do. Um, and yes, we want to help them not suffer as much as possible, you know, and they do, and we do. Um, and so, um, accepting that that is the reality of life in this realm, and always has been. Um, and so, um, the, the other aspect is uh, being aware of the worldly winds and of how things, you know, when, when uh, the, some winds are blowing that are very dark, it can feel like things are going downhill in that direction and it's gonna be that way forever. But the fact is, is that the winds blow back and forth. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, I, I, was th I was reflecting the other day on how, you know, growing up when I did, because I was born in 64, um, and so growing up when I did, um, you know, where one, you know, at some, one thing or another has been gradually, had, you know, up until a couple of years ago, been sort of gradually improving in different areas, um, uh, in terms of justice, in terms of, uh, and at, at least in the in the, you know, in my immediate world, um, growing up in Alabama, that it, you know it was, there was some frustration that it was taking so long, you know, for things to get better, um, but but really uh, sort of having the delusion that it'll go on in this you know, direction, you know, growing ever more positive forever. And um, I, I just sort of thought that was sort of the, you know, and in fact, that's kind of a cultural thing with us, I think, in the U.S., like, 
that, that, we that we think of progress as this sort of never-ending march forward and upward, onward and upward. Um, but um, this that we're experiencing, you know, this, this sort of modern-day dark ages that we're experiencing in some ways um, are a reminder of the Buddhist teachings that in this world there are seasons of joy, seasons of sorrow, seasons of gain or progress, seasons of loss and going backwards, seasons of praise, seasons of blame. And, um, and, so, um, and so it is helpful um, just as on an individual level, um, if I'm having a, a day where it's, you know, a difficult day, why well, don't have to take that as a sign that my life is going down the toilet? It just might be that the winds are blowing and said, you know, I'm, my portion of suffering is difficult today. And, um, and the same for the, the larger, you know, our larger cultures or our larger uh, circles, that there are times when it seems that there's a lot of positivity and progress and hopefulness and then times where things um, look really dark and all of these are times for practice. Let's just give ourselves a minute to let that settle. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.